You're listening to Cluthy and Company on Wisdom Radio. And we are so glad you're with us today. Hello, Marion Bell. Hi, Scott. Good day. It's a beautiful day here. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood across America. Just don't breathe too deeply. <laughs> you might stress out. No, it, it is a beautiful day, and we'll leave it at that. It's radio, so that's a good thing. Are we going to bring the breathing lady back? I like her. Yeah, yeah that was so, <laughs> She got a little too excited, actually. <laughs> got so an we're going to focus today on how to have a stress-free Read. life. So we don't have to worry about global warming for the next hour. Right? <sighs> Not at all. <laughs> your your emissions are ruining the air. <laughs> so are you ready to hear a few wonderful things? I'd love to do anything right now to chill out. Okay, yes. Now this yes. is for everybody. This is for everybody because okay. we happen to know that most disease and illness comes from being stressed. A lot of mental health issues come from being stressed. Now when I tell you a few of these, one of them actually is to take a cold shower. How about that? <laughs> I've been told that. That's Scott, right. Scott Go said, take a cold shower and you'll be stressed less. <laughs> yeah. You'll be, yeah. All oh, right, well, guys. You'll, you'll be relaxed. Focus up. Focus up. <laughs> the reason why is we're getting ready to move into summer. And for some people, this is, you know, sort of a, a summer kind of a stressless. We, a lot of people get very uptight that they get hot and sweaty. It's uncomfortable for them. So what I suggest is you go into your bathroom at work. If you're going at work, you go to your gym. You go into the shower for just a moment. Put the water on warm. Switch it to cold. Walk around in your shower just like a circle. Yes, at work. Out. Walk around in your shower at work. That's right. No, you're at home already. Okay, good. Thank goodness. You know what I, I I'm just seeing them. myself in the bathroom yes, at work Richard. walking around. I would have passed legislation for work showers <laughs> when, uh, when, uh, you know, I don't, a lot of places don't, do not have access to showers. I like sometimes just like I'll wet my hands and yes. my face right. and my part of my neck, just like some of the skin and, and it's wet and dried up. It's relaxing. No, it is. I don't think we're going to get anything about? serious from these other two guys for the rest of the day. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, other, I splash water on my face all the time. That's good. The other thing <laughs> is using the uh, aromatherapy oil lavender. Everyone should have a bottle of lavender in their aromatherapy medicine cabinet. What is that? Natural do? medicine. I do. Because even just opening up any of the essential oils and bringing them into the olfactory area just takes the stress out of our life. The oils themselves are really have enough energy in them just by smell, not necessarily even putting them on, that just calms the system. Lavender is one of the most neutral ones, and you can take it and put it on the tip of your nose. You can put it on your wrist on your ankles, and just being near those pulse points will completely relax a person. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I use uh, essential oils as my cologne now. That's right. I mix certain ones, or some yeah. citrus. Yeah, I love it. I love citrus and, and Lang Lang I put together. some in my oil uh, this morning, like my bath. bath. I yes. absolutely put some in there, and it's amazing how just a few oh, drops. Oh, going to take notes here. Absolutely. He's a good student. Yes. Uh, a few <laughs> drops disperses through a whole tub oh, yeah. it, it, they last forever you buy these bottles for 12 dollars but they right. last oh they a last year. for two or three you can you I just keep using them i've been using right. it. i still have it but lavender's great and there's quite a few and you just have to check it out for yourself right? and i love it because i get lavender as a gift a lot of times mm. people will give well, me lavender they know they say, i think you might have this but you probably need more because you keep talking lavender. about lavender the other thing is massaging your hands or your feet is a wonderful way to relax because number one it actually defocuses you it also disperses energy in the system so just kind of rubbing your hands together and or we're all sitting here demonstrating it but you're just rubbing your hands and your wrists just side to side like as if you're trying to see if you can put your feet your hands 
around your wrist. Making and, a bracelet with right, your fingers around your right. wrist, a little rubby And that dubby. will take some tension out of the body and Absolutely. just moving your hands because you're just giving yourself a chance to regroup, almost kind of connecting your own energy. Okay, so that's another way to regroup. The other thing is turning out the light. If you're capable, I mean, some people are at work, they can't turn out the lights, but a lot of people have little cubbies or offices where they can just take a five-minute break from the fluorescent lights, from any kind of light to let the daylight come in, even in your own home. Just walking and turning out all the lights creates a different energy in our environment. Okay. That's what I love about this new studio compared to the one we were in last year is that yeah. all the natural lighting. Sometimes we don't even have to have the lights on here, but it really is a, it's a, it creates a very warm environment. And there are also lights you can replace. Yes. Your standard electric right. lights with now more natural lighting right. you creates can put a different kind of wavelength of that's light. That's right. It's very good for you. In my office, I have a very, very soft light. It is very, very soft. And you can yes. see everything. Right. But it's not bright. It kind of reduces stress. Especially where you have fluorescent lights you can change those out above your cubby at work right. mm -hmm. and put plant grow lights in there all right that's the kind that's right now here's another one that we've all heard before is taking B vitamins for stress most of the time we deplete ourselves because of pollution just the regular amount of stress that we have. Right. Some people may be smoking. Someone died in your family. You are on the freeway. In normal stressful situations, we burn a lot of B vitamins. So it's important to replenish them. You can't necessarily get them all through eating proteins and things of that nature. You have to ingest them. So the best way to ingest them is through amino acid formulas, not just necessarily B vitamins that say B vitamins, because sometimes some of us don't really get that fully. But if we can get B vitamins or amino acids, okay. which are the breakdown of that, now, and take one a day. Now, B vitamins, are do they not, are they water-soluble? Do they stay in the body or they flow out? They flow out, but they're going to stay more than C is, so they're not okay. going to flow out as fast. Quite There's as a medium sort of that they create. Okay, so so just the main thing is to get some Bs in your regulation of taking the vitamin C and echinacea when you need it, whatever, but the Bs at least every other day, whatever, get it in there and, and retain it in the body. That's right. Constantly, especially during stressful times when you're at work and so on right because it's going to support the nervous system because all the bees support all the okay. nervous the mental capacities our capacities Which for muscles where a lot to of function the stress and comes from is the worry that's and right. stressing out that's right deadlines. Marion, is it the B complex that's not, not just get like B12 or B6? No, the whole the complex. complex. Yes, okay. That's correct. That's correct. And take them early because if you're taking the B vitamins as you're in sleep mode, Actually, your sleep could get interrupted, and that doesn't give you a piece really? of sleep because of the B6, and sometimes will keep you up, make you have vivid, vivid dreams, depending if that's one that you don't necessarily need. And you need it throughout the day to focus and build energy. So it's a morning vitamin. It's a saying. morning vitamin. Take it in the morning before breakfast. Do you Either want it with, with breakfast. Food? Does it matter? Yeah, I think it's better to assimilate it with food. It absorbs really? better. Okay. Yeah. And you, if you miss it for breakfast, it can be your midday snack. But get it in early because that's you want to build it in mm -hmm. before the stress arrives okay that's one of the things that you want to do now does that have anything to do with uh when uh, let's say if you got a little summer flu or whatever like i came down with an allergy related cold this week and right. it was miserable and, yes you know houston that the, the humidity here goes up i felt like a piece of you know whatever but uh would do bees help with moving that out of the system? No. Is, this is uh, this, this is, is preventive. Really preventive. Keep me from stressing out so right. much. There's other things that I would have given you for that piece. Or weak. Right. That's okay. right. This is just a, a if you know you're going and every day. 
two, three, or four o'clock, you have right. stress or something's going on every day. This is just a preventative to calm the body. Okay. And and also we have something called relax caps, which really relax caps. Relax caps. I hadn't heard of those. Anything no. with valerian, a little bit of schizandra in it. Anything to just Shazandra? Mella. That's a new one for me. Mella. I think I went to high school with Shazam. Yeah, you did, didn't you? <laughs> Shazam. You know, chamomile. All of those chamomile. things relax uh, the system. So we need to also look at herbal teas and teas that will relax us. There's wonderful. Even if you have to take sleepy time tea in the middle of the day. Most people take it at night <laughs> to go to sleep. Time. Do you know what that is true? Because I have, uh, have uh, had chamomile in the middle of the day just to kind of take the edge off. It's been really yeah. What do you yep. think it about it? Works. It's actually very good. Very yeah. good. You know, these subtle things, we have to give them a chance to be with us and to work. Yeah. Like the uh, the aromatherapy, I didn't think much about it, so I started working with it and having yes. it around me all the time. Now I wouldn't think of not using it. Right. And uh, at least two or three times a week, putting it in my bath. And especially, it's amazing. Right. When I feel stressed out, I do that, feel yeah. much calmer, you know, and just... Gonna gonna kinda chill out here as we yes, get ready for our next we get guest. Ready for our next Marionbell.com. Yes. Check it out. We're gonna continue on though. We got a great guest coming up, Jeffrey Armstrong, the author of God, Goddess, the Astrologer, Soul Karma and Reincarnation. And uh, we'll be talking to Jeffrey in just a few minutes. Stay with us here on Wisdom Radio. Thank you, Marion. You're welcome, I Scott. feel better already. I just feel relaxed. <laughs> Here again, Scott Cluthy. Every week we talk with Richard Fleece about astrology and astrological thought and analysis. And you know, I've studied and worked with it for a long, long time as a student, over 25 years. Gained a lot of great personal growth and insight. But today, listeners, you may have thought you knew some about astrology. Today we're going to give you a reorientation, as I say in the intro, day to a new old way of looking at astrology, really the fundamental way, the principles, out of the country of India. Our guest is Jeffrey Armstrong. Jeffrey, welcome to Wisdom Radio. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to have you here. He's the author of the new book, God, Goddess, The Astrologer, Soul, Karma, and Reincarnation, How We Continually Create Our Own Destiny. That's an important thought that uh, the modern-day astrologer certainly wants to promote, that we are, in fact, masters of our destiny, not victims of our fate. <laughs> That's an important part, too, isn't it, Jeffrey? It sure is. It's one of the first misunderstandings people have. They think, well, don't I have any free will um, if, if my fate is just in my horoscope? But the horoscope is really just a kind of scorecard that's held up at the moment of birth that talks about how we've been using our free will. Jeffrey Armstrong has spent over 30 years mastering Eastern teaching techniques of Raja Yoga, Tantra, Mantra Meditation, Vedic Astrology. Also an initiate for over 30 years, holds degrees in psychology, literature, and comparative religion. And has worked with radio, TV, media, and Fortune 500 companies. So it's really great to have you with us today. It really is. It's my pleasure, Scott. You know, astrology's mishmangled enough here in the West what good and what is the reason now for adding in the Ayurvedic understanding of astrology? Why is it so important? What I've tried to do in, in my book is go back to the roots of astrology. Uh, you know, it's amazing how in history things can get lost and distorted. Mm -hmm. But if you look around and see the wars and conflict and struggle that, uh, that life consists of, you see that many important things get lost. And that's exactly what's happened over the last several thousands of years. Uh, it just so happens that India is one of those cultures, although it's a pretty mixed up place itself on the sort of social level now. The ancient knowledge of India goes back about 10,000 years. So it's a living historical record 
of the, the knowledge that ancient people knew, and they knew a whole lot more than most people give them credit for. You know, it's um, occurred to me when I was reading your book, and it really got me excited because it touched on some fundamentals of the astrological understanding that had been kind of, it's like I understood it, but it kind of been glossed over in the work of astrology I've been studying for many years. Not so much the differences, but the fact that in India, the the, the study of astrology and the fundamental difference we're going to talk about r versus the Western approach was integral and understood and also helped to grow out the astronomy and the sciences. And therefore, it's integrated. It's over here in the Western culture. When I say over here, I mean Western culture yeah. and thinking that locked into a set dogmatic way of approaching it that created the gulf, if you will, between the scientist who says, well, if it works, then show me how it works and show me the science of it, and the other side that says, this is a spiritual belief system. Oh, you know, the science is, it works. You know, how can heavenly bodies thousands, millions, millions and millions of miles away affect us? In, in India, the scientific understanding that goes with the astrological thought of what you're talking about, 10,000 years of knowledge, is locked in in a way that the science works. Yes. Is that right? It is, and it, 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 you know, it didn't have to go this way, perhaps, but the way it went in the West was, uh, at that time in history, you know, several hundred years ago, the Catholic Church was like a big, powerful, dogmatic corporation that would threaten your life if you didn't believe what they believed. Right. And that's unfortunate, because I'm not sure that that's the way Christ would have done things, but that's the way they chose to do them. And that made a dangerous atmosphere for all kinds of other thought. And so one of the kinds of thinking that was dangerous at that time was actually all kinds of things that contradicted them. But uh, this gave rise to the scientific revolution, so science had to split from religion very harshly in order to have their own power. And so in the West, we had this huge split between the cosmos and cosmology and astronomy and religion. And so if you'll notice, in Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, there is no cosmology to speak of. There is no explanation of how God created the universe. Whereas in the, the teachings of the East, that's an integral part of the teaching, is how the cosmos was actually created and what was the scientific process by which divine intelligence created the universe. Right. Richard? Yes, um, you brought up a real interesting point about what the Catholic Church did. It's really interesting when you go through Europe, every, almost every church has the astrological calendar right there uh, the in the church itself, and in the front of the church or behind it in a lot of the old buildings, and even reportedly where Christ was born in Bethlehem, where the flame is, there's the whole <laughs> there it astrological is thing. Yes. Like they knew What's it, up? They, they, they worked <laughs> with it, but then, like you right. were talking about that split, sure. and India seems to have more of a scientific and spiritual thing combined with the astrology to define the universe. And it's yes. so exciting. Now we sit in a culture, though, where it seems as though in the West, finally, with the, with the opening up of holographic understanding of uh, the new uh, physics, uh, that the, 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 the scientific mind is moving back to a holistic and whole and integrated uh, philosophy that everything is interrelated, and there's a mechanism there we can start to examine to see what is the nature of a whole concept living, whole concept science, whole concept religion, and how, does it, how can that all work together? That's right, and you'll notice that the, the Christian religion adopted the symbol of the fish because we're in the age of Pisces. Right. And so the, the symbolism was understood during that time. One of my favorite uh, examples of this is the Jewish expression, mazel tov. Mazel tov. Right. You know what it means. 
generally. Uh, Marion, tell us what Mazel Tov means. I can't remember. <laughs> Just be good luck. Oh, man. Because you're putting me on the spot. You're on the spot, Marion. Get know, me to the temple on time. We need right. better Jews. Good luck. <laughs> Usually it, it's More taken as Jews. good luck. That's right. Good luck. Good, good luck. luck. Okay. So, that's what I thought it was good luck. But what does it luck. really mean? So here's the literal meaning. Mazel means constellations. Right. Lucky and stars. Tov is from the Sanskrit Dev or Deva, which means the angelic beings. So it means, may the beings who inhabit the stars bless you. Right. You know, just recently there was a scholar in Houston that came in the town that did folklore on all this uh -huh. astrology that was put in Islamic. I mean, they had pictures of old parchments and things that had the signs because when I studied in Judaica-type things, was no, we don't do astrology in Judaism. <laughs> now all of a sudden there's a whole Hello. turnaround right, right. that we are. And that's our your roots. That's right. <laughs> that's right. The family of the ram. So it is by like the way. coming to its own. But what I love about your book, just buzzing through it, just for the few minutes that I've been here today, it's like you give such a clear, defined layperson's way of the practicality of it. So I want to be sure that they talk. You talk about that. Because, oh yeah, no, the book yeah. is a, lays the foundation for you it's to understand beautiful. not just philosophically, but yes. the, you know the steps involved. And and the whole point of this, though, Jeffrey, is for self-understanding of who we are in this incarnation. Who are we being? Yeah, that's a very important point that both of you have made. And in the book, I think the revolutionary concept for people to grasp is that the ancients had a material science that's very useful and powerful and relevant to right now. And um, just as we have the 106 elements of the periodic table in science now, right. the difference is I can't tell by looking at you how much zinc or copper or iron you have because I don't see those subtle elements. So the ancients had a paradigm of science called the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, and space. And those five elements are actual elements which we can experience through our senses. We can tell when fire is present. We can tell when water is present. We can tell when air is present. So these form a user interface between us and the material world so we can tell when something has more air, more fire, more water. In other words, it's a kind of way of eyeballing all the things that come at us and deciding whether we want to eat it or not eat it or touch it or not touch it or connect with it or not connect with it. It's a user interface to the physical world. And astrology... It has air signs, fire signs, water signs, and earth signs mm -hmm. because it's based on that material science. And but everyone has lost track of the fact that this is a real material science. Yeah, this is really about the beingness of our physicalness, our physical experience, a spiritual being having a physical experience. Uh, the, the Ayurvedic then brings in the formulas, the understanding of these different body types, kapha, pitta, so on, to understand your nature, rather than getting all discombobulated, complicated, a very simple and direct way of understanding the kinds of foods you would eat, the kinds of things and activities that would make a difference for you, probably would also explain your psych psychological makeup in many ways, Jeffrey. Is that true? Of course. And then the simplest way to think about this for everyone to organize their thoughts is just think that there's skinny people, medium people, and heavier people. People who tend to hold weight, people who tend to be medium most of their life, people who tend to be thin and slender. And the slender ones, think of them as more high-strung, more nervous, often cold hands and feet. Stressed. And we have three group. of them sitting here. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I and a, that a, group. We have three bodies here. Yep. I, I have a question, though. I mean, I have been all of those all my life. I spent 
you know, my life uh, very thin until I was probably 25 years old, and then heavier from then, and then thin in my early 30s. And, so and now I, look and, at and you. Now, which well, one are you? I'm very we would, we yeah. would know two things. At first, you had some vata and kapha both in your horoscope. Second, that you might have hit planetary periods where those energies were being accentuated, uh-huh. and so more of one energy was being put into your life at that moment. It's not an either-or, is it? It's a combination. It's, it's a, a combination, form. and learning your particular combination is the secret. But if you start out with the simple distinction, am I the air-based, more skinny, more slender, more high-strung? Am I medium-build, muscular, intense, pushy, direct, hot? Am I heavier, nurturing, holding more energy? Then you can start out with an actual contact with reality. What you've contacted is the elements. If you're the heavier type, you have more water and earth. If you're the intense type, more fire. Coming to understand the fundamental energy your frame is built on, your being is coming from. Right. But then, the, as we say, the, 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 the horoscope is more than just the sun or the moon or the rising sign, for that matter. It's all the other elements as well in your individual uh, mixture, your, your, your natal horoscope. That's right. And in my book, what I've done is bring out the science aspect of this. Because yes. the five-element science is what's been left out in everyone's astrological training and in all of the astrological books have not emphasized that, but that's the actual basis. You know, we, we only have a minute till this break. I want to come back, and you were very nice to uh, do a little analysis on my chart, which we'll talk about, but I want you to come back and, and talk about the fundamental uh, difference in uh, working with an Ayurvedic approach, or uh, let's just say an Eastern approach to the astrological birth chart. People don't have to throw their natal horoscopes out. Rather, they can take these charts People who have taken the time to get a real horoscope, uh, which is not hard to do these days on the Internet, you can print one for free, and take a simple mathematical calculation can give you some real insight that the sun sign you thought you were may not be the true energy in life. You may wonder why you don't fit what you're doing. I call it a sign change operation. After the break, we'll do it. The sign change operation. <laughs> Very good. I like that. Our guest is Jeffrey Armstrong. The book is God, Goddess, the Astrologer. Look for it. It's really great. It's uh, published by Torchlight Publishing Incorporated. And uh, you can find them at torchlight.com. And also go to the wisdommedia.com website and demand God and Goddess, the Astrologer, if they don't have it, so they can get it online and, of course, at your local bookstore as well. We'll be back, Jeffrey. Just stay online with us, okay? Thanks. Thank you. You're listening to Cluthie and Company on Wisdom Radio. And boy, yeah, we're having so uh, we're having a lot of great insight in the studio right now. Marion, I didn't know you were doing. Uh, hey, I love this Middle Eastern dance and she's Islamic. Doing some, she's and doing some Indian belly dancing dance. for us. You have to. I've done all we're going to have to get the cameras online. It's Cluthie and Company on Wisdom Radio. Our guest is Jeffrey Armstrong, and we're talking about the Ayurvedic astrological approach to life, and really a great knowledge and wisdom from ten thousand years ago brought forward to today. To today, and Jeffrey's really doing a great job of helping to bring it into a conversation in the West where we're not, you know, you're not dissing Western approach to astrology, but rather adding the insight. One of the things, Jeffrey, that I'd studied and understood about but didn't really get was this idea of the procession of the equinox. Yes. Uh, Tell us what, this is the fundamental fulcrum, the change, and what that means to the standard horoscope of the listener. Sure. Um, Imagine that the, just picture the Earth in its uh, place in, in orbit, and it's tilted, instead of straight up and down, tilted at 23 degrees, and it's going around the sun. 
And what we call that a year is when the Earth goes around once. And the tilt of the Earth is what's accountable for the seasons. Uh, if there was no tilt, we wouldn't have any different seasons, but uh, just like at the equator, there's no seasons. <clears throat> now, if you look at the pole, we all know that the pole points at a star right now. It's Polaris, and we call that the pole star. But in fact, that's only been our pole star for a few hundred years. And the reason is that picture the whole Earth like an apple with a pencil through it, and the, the, the pencil and the apple are wobbling. And as the Earth wobbles, the pencil makes a circle above it. That circle is actually where the pole would be. So Polaris is our pole star now. When the pyramids were built in Egypt, the pole star was Alpha Draconis. Uh -huh. And so this means that the entire Earth is wobbling. And that wobble changes its relationship to the star. So the simplest way to think of this is imagine it's sunrise on the first day of spring, March 21st. And just as the sun's about to rise, you see some stars come up. If there was no wobble, the same stars would appear at that point every year. Forever. Forever. Right. Basically. Endlessly. But they don't. And the reason they don't is that this wobble causes a different group of stars to be present at that point each year, slowly. And the movement takes 25,920 years for a whole circle. Wow. And that's the One procession wobble. of the equinox. It's moving right. backwards, if you will, through the through zodiac. The through right? the zodiac. That means Wonderful. if you want to think literally, the stars yeah. are being dragged backward across the first right. day of spring. Hmm. So that's why right now on March 21st, according to the actual stars, the person born has their sun in Pisces, in seven degrees of Pisces, and not in Aries. In other words, all of you people who think that you're in Aries, if you were born on March 21st, your sun was actually in the star group, Pisces. Boy, is that a big shift. 23 <laughs> degrees. So people, you know, fitting themselves psychologically, and I don't fit, and I don't understand, and so on and so on, or maybe some of the part of your chart. The truth is, everybody out there could take their horoscope and take that sun placement at their birth and track it backwards 23 degrees. They now, could take so, the whole horoscope and subtract 23 degrees from everything. Just move the whole thing, yeah. and it's going to shift everything. So I'm a Sagittarius rather than a Capricorn because I'm zero degrees Capricorn. Capricorn. Right. Boy, would that make sense. Which Whoa. means you're a fire sign and not an earth sign. No kidding. <laughs> That's why you can't get your finances together. You're out too busy making things happen. Wow. That would be... Yes. Now, for yep. me, I'm a late Aquarius, but I'm still an Aquarian because you're I was... still an Aquarian. Yeah. Right. And by the way, that changes your rising, though, from Cancer to Gemini. Ha ha ha! That makes sense. Your body Mr. type. I'm a, such a double talker too. So, <laughs> and I'm I'm a, I'm July 18th. So I'm a Cancer. You're still Cancer. I'm still, still Cancer. cancer. See You're how that works? That's right. You're still moving. I, I was open for a change. Sorry. I know he's been <laughs> looking for a change forever. Yeah. Poor boy. You know. So this is very. This is. Wow. So this, this can mess you up psychologically. <laughs> this could straighten you up psychologically. No wonder I'm thought I was like not like my. Now, mother. okay. Now, the point. The main thing is, why did this happen, Jeffrey? Well. Here's the thing, and I wanted to say that in my book, this is the revolutionary thing. What I've studied all of these 30 years is the correlation between the body type, mm -hmm. which is quite recognizable. You can look at yourself and another person and go, oh, you must be a vata. You must be the air type. You must be the fire type. You must be the earth water type. Because you can see that once you've got your horoscope corrected to the Vedic calculation, the sun, moon, and rising 
should, by their combination of elements, account for the body type hmm. in most cases. In other words, in your case, for example, yes. you have Sun in Aquarius, you have Gemini rising, and you have Moon in Virgo. Virgo. So then you're going to be predominantly Vata because you have an air sign Sun and an air sign rising. So the air element is quite dominant in your chart. Boy, is it. We can verify yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. And what does a Vata personality like me, then what does that lean toward? Well, a Vata personality is a communication-based, high-strung, um, often into the details, especially with Gemini rising. They're communicative. They dissipate energy. They're high-strung. They're prone to exhaustion from overwork. They have incredible bursts of creativity. It varies from person to person in the details, but they tend to be cold in their hands and feet if they're in a cold climate. Uh, sometimes they neglect their eating and they're erratic in their behavior. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> Sounds disturbingly familiar. Yes. <laughs> so when you know your particular mm -hmm. body type, which you can see then in the horoscope, it, it works in reverse. <clears throat> you can look at the horoscope and predict the body type of the person who's going to come see you as an astrologer. I do this all the time. Or you can look at the body type and then predict the horoscope. Because there's only three air signs. If you see a person is a Vata, then they have to have either Gemini, Libra, or Aquarius predominant in their chart. So this is because of this, in your opinion, Jeffrey, because of this miscalculation from a Western approach of a couple thousand years ago, right. has facilitated the point where people are confused over what they're doing, how, how to go about to get the best results in their lives, m mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And also, they haven't been taught, our whole culture, think of this, when you go to the doctor, the only thing the doctor tells you is your disease and the medicine you need. Mm -hmm. He doesn't tell you, he or she doesn't tell you, your body type, mm -hmm. your unique individual body type, because Western medicine doesn't know of it, doesn't even think it exists. Whereas in the Eastern medicine, both Chinese and Indian, the basis of the medicine is that you have a unique body. First, we have to know that, or we're not even talking to you. Do you sometimes get the feeling when you go to a doctor you weren't being talked to? Right. Just being poked and prodded and looked at as one of the same kind of equipment. Everyone has the same body. You're being treated that way, but that's not so. Everyone has a unique constitutional type, and their psychology is derived from the body because the mind and body are connected. Jeffrey, uh, I have a question. How, as a, an astrologer, and also a student of astrologer, how can we effectively translate that and perform uh, better at helping the clients and in integrating the Eastern philosophy, or the Eastern way, with the Western way in, in the horoscope uh, Great format? Well, the first thing is to think of the individual also as the eternal self. Right. And that's a very Eastern viewpoint also. And in mm -hmm. my book, I point out that the Catholic Church in the 5th century voted yes. that the soul was not eternal. And they called that the pre-existence. So if you don't see they the They had a vote, right? They had a vote. They had a bunch of sort of <laughs> lawyers get together. And the soul and, lost. And the soul lost. And they said <laughs> the soul doesn't Early return show, right? All for souls, raise your hand. Can we have a recount? That's right. I'm sorry, it just had to no, do that. It reminds to. me of things. That's right. And so that disempowered everyone. If I you would think say. about it from the point of view on a practical basis, if you if you know that you're the eternal soul, then you can act that way. Right. If you don't know that, someone has to grant that to you. 
You may have to ask for forgiveness many times. That's right. <laughs> See, well, like, you know, when I, when I perform the astrology charts, you know, I always use, like, Saturn and the moon to determine a lot of, uh, and, and the north-south node, a lot of the existences that you had before. You know, I've integrated that, but how can I get into more information with okay. the actual words, uh, the actual philosophy of the Eastern? Are, are there any, would you recommend any good books or programs? Uh, to instruct people more of the... In the languaging of it is what uh -huh. you're saying, yes. Richard? Uh -huh. Okay. Well, there are some other good writers uh, who are out there right now uh, who are beginning to write on this. I think one of the things that's happening, and to the surprise of the people in India, is a lot of white ast astrologers and people from the West have taken a very keen interest in their culture. And what's happening is the culture is now being translated into an English that everyone can understand. Right, we can uh -huh. work with. And can work yeah. with. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. the American uh, Ast uh, Vedic Astrological Association um, and a lot of Vedic astrologers now across the country are working at translating Indian knowledge into a form that can be used by everyone in this culture, such as that the notion that we're the soul. And so for each of the planets, in answer to your question, a, an aspect of our past or previous action is revealed by each planet's position. And the books in uh, India do describe the personalities and natures of those planets in great deal of detail. And a lot of that knowledge is starting to be available now. I want to make sure, Jeffrey, we take a moment to, to sort of a little shameless self-promotion here so people know how to connect with you. The book is God, Goddess, the Astrologer, Soul, Karma, and Reincarnation. It's published by Torchlight Publishing at torchlight.com is the website. Go to the wisdommedia.com website, and if it's not there, ask for it. And uh, is there a phone number if people would like a person? Do you still do personal astrological analysis? I do personal astrological readings. I have a website, jeffreyarmstrong.com. Okay. And yep. if they wish to call a phone number, they can call 310-789-4455. Okay. Okay, that's 310-789-4455. Thank you so much for being with us on Wisdom Radio. Fascinating. Thank Fascinating. you, Jeffrey. It's been a lot of fun. Take care. God bless. We'll talk to you again. Here again, Scott Cluthy. So, Steve, you were going to tell us how love works, huh? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's great to have you with us here. We're, we're hitting the home stretch. If we Thank can talk you. over the banjos, what, what, what is that? It's not a banjo. <laughs> it's an electric guitar. <laughs> It's Stephen Carter, the author of This Is How Love Works, Nine Essential Secrets You Need to Know. Still need to know. I'm still working on it, though. But, yeah, we were, uh, we were talking last week about sexual stereotyping. I wanted to kind of complete that and then uh, see if we might get a few thoughts in on how to make your partner feel liked, which okay. is not necessarily something everybody feels in a relationship. But, right. uh, um, yeah, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back yeah. to that. The sexual stereotyping, uh, you know, we were talking about some of the things that are listed in the book that uh, are sort of, yeah. when we walk around with these stereotypes, a lot of times we don't realize that we're just, we're ingrained in it. You know, it's like the fish in the water. We don't even know that, that we have that belief <laughs> that we're operating out of. Uh, things like women don't really enjoy sex. Now, I don't know who came up with that one. I don't know who they're dealing with. Who did? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a woman's orgasm isn't that important. Now, see, I've never said that. Now, wh who would be saying that? Guys that have never had women who have orgasms. Yes, there you go. Right. Okay. Or, no, or even more so, uh, women who have.
haven't been able to, you know, have an orgasm with their partner and kind of talk themselves out of their own experience. Uh, that's a self a self denial of the desire. It's like, uh, right, well, but, right, but then, I'll just but, put up with it. It's okay. Yeah, but then the word gets then the word gets out. You know what I'm saying? Because then they then oh. then they they say, oh, it's not that important. And then there's a bunch of people saying, oh, it's not really that important. And the next thing you know, people think it's not that important. Hmm. Um, uh, birth control stereotypes. Uh, those are huge. Um, what would some of the birth control stereotypes? <laughs> still expecting women to be in charge of birth control, like no, that, or, or a man, in other words, or one or the other. Right. Not this is something that you know is a couple's issue, not uh, a man's job or a woman's job, but something that a couple has to sort out. Right. And and every experience is going to be different because you know in each relationship. People are going to have di different issues with birth control. They're going to have, you know, physiological issues. They're going to have religious issues. They're going to have emotional issues. Um, that's that's about, a lot of back issues. How about when uh, women and men get a little older? Yeah. And what about birth control issues when you get into your 40s and then 50s? What about that? What about that? Because I don't think about it. Well... You know, you need to. <laughs> you need to. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've had your your little guys with the tails evaluated recently, but, you know, I'm sure that they're still swimming strong. So, um... <laughs> Round them up. You need Look to. at Tony Curtis. Nobody, How can no, I, nobody, I just haven't nobody, thought about that. Nobody has told them that it's time to stop looking for an egg, you know? I don't think they have. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they don't have that stereotype. They're just, they're just still no. trying to do their job, you know, like okay. they were 20. They're, they're amazed they're, they can still do it. Right. Yeah, I see. So, like, Eat you my can, Wheaties. You can never <laughs> stop thinking about it unless you're partner you know that your partner cannot get pregnant or right. you know or or vice versa you know it, it might be clear. something to bring up <laughs> yeah i mean so yeah. it's, it, it is it is always an issue so um, how do we deal with this kind of that kind of issue steve that how do you deal with birth control issues when it's not occurred to anybody right. especially with a lot of men i mean i'm just going to just you know, think I, about I, first of all i got to tell you about myself i, I don't please I, we don't have ginger and i don't have a birth control issue we don't have that problem but uh, the thing about it is, is that, you know, a lot of but, times... But what does that mean, we don't have a birth control issue? What it means is that somebody... No, that means that nobody can get pregnant. Okay. okay. Well, that's not an issue. You don't have an issue, then. Can you I know that for a fact. We know that for a fact. Nobody's getting pregnant. You're not get, you can't I, get pregnant? If I can, I'm going on tour. Okay. I I'm going to make a lot of money. <laughs> I think we need to get you on TV. And I'm going to sell a book called I'm Pregnant. <laughs> anyway, but uh, the thing about it is, okay, you know, a, a lot of men, if they're going to wear a, a can I say prophylactic... Anyway, um, if they're going to, a lot of men, I mean, me included, uh, it's like, hey, that didn't really work. That's not really working. That doesn't work. There's got to be, you know. Uh, you mean, I don't like it. I no, I mean, so it do, no, no, I mean, it doesn't actually work, which means that actually it's not working for me. So the sex is not working for me. Oh. In other words, if I have to do that, well, then I'm not really having sex. It's not working. It's not okay. It doesn't work. So you do have men who feel that way. And uh, at that point, there, the discussion has to be, you know, uh, what else can we do from here? And then that kind of really puts well, it Well, what in. do you think about that attitude, yeah, Steve? Yeah, I think that, well, I, first of all, I think there are all grades of this isn't working. You know, for some right. people, this isn't working. I mean, it doesn't feel the way I would, I really want it to feel, you know. But, again, I mean, these are things that have, these are conversations that have to happen. I mean, this is not something that you 
get to decide by yourself, not if you want to be with another person. So, you know, uh, it it just it has to be discussed, and and a couple together has to come to some kind of, you know, reasonable agreement around this because if indeed it is the most effective way of birth control and and what are you going to do if you know if it if it doesn't work for you and your partner winds up getting pregnant because somehow whatever she chose to do didn't work for her. you know i mean a lot of yeah, women so would say well that, take does it, that take not it. work for you too a, being a lot pregnant. of women yeah right and a lot of women would say you know being, taking the pill and, and messing up my body doesn't work for me either having so, children may not work uh, right so so you know, guys, it's interesting. Men often feel that, hey, you know, I real this really doesn't work for me, and not imagining that that their partner may have the same issue just in a different way. So well, we're, we're putting our physical, you know, we're putting our momentary lust and desire ahead of the long-term <laughs> thought process. And no man's ever done that, has he? Oh, yeah, but but, right. but I, I really think I mean I really think that uh, that it's important and, and, and it's an issue because I have talked to many men, especially men in their late twenties, who basically say if she wants me to do this, I'm, I can't do the deal. I'm, I mean I I like her, I care about her, but you know us having sex doesn't work for me at all. It, may, it leaves me wanting and unfulfilled. Mm. So you know I have to hmm. you know, I have to actually break up with this woman that I care about because she's not willing to. Uh, do that, and I understand she has the right not to do that. So it actually can be a relationship-ending issue, especially for younger people. What do you think about that, Steve? Well, I still think that there's uh, a lot of middle ground that people don't explore. You know, that they don't work hard to try and figure out ways to, you know, to, to for things to be good enough and not perfect. You know, not but but good enough. Uh, the whole concept of good enough doesn't seem to really, you know, exist in that arena for a lot of people. It's either or. Yeah, well, I mean, they, yeah. they they know what what feels best to them, and that's what right. they want. And I certainly understand that, but you know, um, that's not always the way it works. Well, it's it's uh, it's not very responsible behavior if you're not intending to uh, father any children that come along of your progeny. Right. That's true. Yeah. I mean, those are your kids. Right. Uh, but the, usually the next answer is, well, I don't want one. Or what are you going to do about it, honey? <laughs> right. Or what's your name? <laughs> Which, uh, not to be too cynical, but, <laughs> you know, how many, uh, you know, the, the, the figures are that divorce is way up, marriage is way down, single parenting households are exploding through the roof, both men and women. Unbelievable. But yeah. how much percentage is actually women with a kid that, 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 I don't know that number, but I just was just reading yesterday in the paper. My yeah. wife was reading to me the, the, the number of the, the, the tiny number of households where there are two parents and a child. Um, yeah, I mean, it's shrinking it's, like a little. It's like some kind of oddball. It's like a minority oddball thing to have two kids, uh, two parents. I think it's twenty. Was it twenty-seven percent? Yeah, that's right, twenty-seven percent. I think I. It was that's, 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 that's not many, given what we grew up with. Is everybody was married and had right. kids? But you know, right? you, you you got five and six-year-olds right now who are you know having conversations with going. Well, you, you mean so you you only have one house that you go to? You don't have. Another, two? You don't live, yeah, well, that's you, an abnormality, you right? You live in one place. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got two rooms full you of don't have a toys. Summer, you don't have a summer cottage yeah. with Dad? Double the toys. It's double the toys. Well, that hey, that's a pretty good situation when both parents take responsibility 
these days, it seems to me. But you know, interesting. Even I, if they're not together. But I had I had dinner the other day with me and my girlfriend and her ex-husband and her parents, and we were all and her husband yeah. to be. Yeah, which is so kind of we weird deal. All, but he's a good guy, though. Okay. But but you know, so, I mean, there, there there are some assumptions around that. I mean, uh, there there's a couple across the street from us who, um, I see the father and the mother. Uh, you're gonna. Well, this is really important. The, the father and the mother, uh, they are no, they are not together, but mm-hmm. they maintain a, a a decent, you know, a really uh, positive relationship for the sake of the child. And I see the father um, coming over. They all go together to see the child in a play. They all go together to right. see the, the child's, you know, I mean, everything that, you know, around school, stuff like that. I see him all the time, even though the parents are not together. Now, on the other hand, there, I, there's also a man on the street who I see him walking his daughter down the street and as soon as he sees his ex-wife or ex-whatever, you know, maybe girlfriend, but uh, the mother of his child, um, as soon as he sees that car approaching, he leaves the ter- the girl and Get starts walking back up the street. Dumps her and it's leaves. Horrifying. That's and, that's horrible. And the girl is, you know, <laughs> I mean, can't be more than nine years old. Oh, what a wonderful uh, program she's got yeah, going on about men. So you know something. So she <laughs> may have she may have two households full of toys. She may have double the toys, but so what? But yeah, I mean, what she right. the, the she needs what, a day. She is learning yeah. about, you know, what it means to be in a relationship. Right. You know, kind of that that poisonous stuff that is being, you know, and and not to say that that the other that this other girl is is happy about the fact that that her parents are not under one roof because you know that she's not. Right. You know, but at least these guys are really, you know, are working to to minimize that damage where some people right. are not. At least she sees the 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 process of relationship as an ongoing dialogue right, right. of give and take right. of, of of a true accurate and functional relationship it doesn't mean it has to be loving and that old why they got together loving because we see in these days people uh, divorce is an easier option than marriage it seems to be these days well, well something and i guess i wonder how common this is how common this is i mean i was at uh, the reason i wasn't on the show last week is we were at uh, ginger's daughter's Recital, her little five-year-old dance recital, right. and it was me, her ex-husband, and Ginger, all three of us there watching this thing. All packed yeah. in. And That's so good. That, and I just don't wonder how much. I mean, we're. I think we're just real fortunate that everybody is okay and gets along working so together. Well. Yeah. It's not the case. It's just scary. It's not the case, and uh, uh, it it destroys the fundamentals of relationship. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely, gotta, relationships in general are, you know. Mm. On the blocks these days. I mean, you know, it, it's a very, very difficult. I mean, when I saw those numbers, you know, that I, yeah, they I, blew my mind, frankly. Thought, that that fast a change in our society. What That's a whole other conversation. I, I see, yeah, it, really. I see it out there though. But I can really, yeah. what you're talking about, I can really see it out there. I mean, yeah. that, that doesn't surprise me a bit. It's, right. it's obvious. Yeah. Right. Richard, you have one more yeah, comment before we go? I was just going to say, you know, do constant counseling, you know, how that affects children, in a, you know, in these relationships that you were talking about. You know, like leaving the child out there in the middle of the street. That's weak. Just, that's weak, buddy. That is, that's bad news. I'd say that's weak, buddy. <laughs> I don't think I want you part of my team because <laughs> you're not a team player. You're only out for Mr. I, I want it my way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Steve, he's angry. He's angry, and he's you know, and that's how he deals with his yeah, anger. Yeah. He's a child. Uh, uh, how love works. 
loveworks.com is the website, howloveworks.com. Stephen Carter, the book is This is How Love Works, Not Essential Secrets You Need to Know. And uh, you can, uh, it's published by M. Evans and Company. And we're going to give you a, a respite of a few weeks, Stephen, the, the, the scheduled summer vacation for you. I'm going to collect more stories for you. Yeah, and this, you know what though? This this thing about the state of uh, uh, relationship, this this whole marriage divorce thing. This is interesting. Maybe find that information. We'll find that information. Talk about that next time, because that that's really you know, it's a it's it's a rehash. It's a long-term conversation. Yeah. What to do about it? Maybe you have some ideas on that. We'll we'll come back into it. Thank you for being with us. Uh, and we moved you around to a new time today. Thanks for your flexibility. Thank you. All right. Guys, have a, have a, have a very happy Memorial Thank Day. Thank you. Weekend. It was good to hear you again, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Because we know that's how love works. All right, Thank Stephen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.